My name is Jim Fleming, and this is Our Sunday School. Our Sunday School is part of Stewart Heights Baptist Church in Chattanooga, Tennessee. To prepare for this lesson, please go to OurSundaySchool.com for a copy of today's handout. Now, let's get to this week's lesson. Well, good morning, and welcome to Our Sunday School. I'm glad you guys are with us this morning. The, uh, the section we're in today in Mark is chapter 14, uh, and we have begun the, well, I guess that's an interesting way to say it. I was about to say we've begun the betrayal. I'd say the betrayal actually began the earlier, but we've begun to see the betrayal. And I would argue that in today's text is when the other 11 realize who Judas actually is. Like up until this moment in the text, they still think he's a good guy and one of them. Um, and I think there are myriad lessons that we can learn from that. Uh, and I'm not going to beat that today. We will talk more about that next week, uh, Lord willing. But if you've got your handout, we're on uh, page 487, which means in the next couple of weeks, we're going to be crossing over to 500 pages. So the, the Word document is officially unstable. So this is where I am saving multiple copies in different places and praying that it works until we get to page 600 or so. But uh, good morning to those of you online. So the Blairs, uh, the Velosins, the Archers, the uh, see Nancy Miller, my friends, the Greggs, Cheryl, my mom. Hey guys, good morning. Welcome to everybody. And uh, so let's start with our question that we ask each week: What is God doing in you through His Word? From the portion of Mark we've studied so far. So what is God doing in you through His Word? From the portion of Mark that we have studied so far. Dave? Yes, sir. Okay, so Brontosaurus Trail last week. When you mentioned that Mark was not one of the apostles, <laughs> I've gone to seminaries and, and so forth, and it, it was never part of the topic, part of the conversation. And it's just one of those aha moments where you're like, so. <laughs> Anybody else? What's God doing in you through his word from the portion of Mark that we have studied so far? All right, let's take a look at Mark chapter 14. Uh, as we have done for a handful of weeks now, we'll read the second half of Mark 14. 
And then we'll start today with verse 43 uh, in just a few minutes. So Mark 14, we'll start with verse 32 and uh, read through 72. And they went to a place called Gethsemane. And he said to his disciples, sit here while I pray. And he took with him Peter and James and John and began to be greatly distressed and troubled. And he said to them, my soul is very sorrowful, even to death. Remain here and watch. And going a little farther, he fell on the ground and prayed that if it were possible, the hour might pass from him. And he said, Abba, Father, all things are possible for you. Remove this cup from me, yet not what I will, but what you will. And he came and found them sleeping. And he said to Peter, Simon, are you asleep? Could you not watch one hour? Watch and pray that you may not enter into temptation. The spirit indeed is willing, but the flesh is weak. And again, he went away and prayed, saying the same words. And again, he came and found them sleeping, for their eyes were very heavy, and they did not know what to answer him. And he came the third time and said to them, are you still sleeping and taking your rest? It is enough. The hour has come. The Son of Man is betrayed into the hands of sinners. Rise, let us be going. See, my betrayer is at hand. And immediately while he was still speaking, Judas came, one of the twelve, and with him a crowd with swords and clubs from the chief priests and the scribes and the elders. Now the betrayer had given them a sign, saying, The one I will kiss is the man. Seize him and lead him away under guard. And when he came, he went up to him at once and said, Rabbi, And he kissed him, and they laid hands on him and seized him. But one of those who stood by drew his sword and struck the servant of the high priest and cut off his ear. And Jesus said to them, Have you come out as against a robber with swords and clubs to capture me? Day after day I was with you in the temple teaching, and you did not seize me. But let the scriptures be fulfilled. And they all left him and fled. And a young man followed him with nothing but a linen cloth about his body, and they seized him. But he left the linen cloth and ran away naked. And they led Jesus to the high priest. And all the chief priests and the elders and the scribes came together. And Peter had followed him at a distance, right into the courtyard of the high priest. And he was sitting with the guards and warming himself at the fire. Now the chief priests and the whole council were seeking testimony against Jesus to put him to death. But they found none. For many bore false witness against him. But their testimony did not agree. And some stood up and bore false witness against him, saying, We heard him say, I will destroy this temple that is made with hands, and in three days I will build another not made with hands. Yet even about this, their testimony did not agree. And the high priest stood up in the midst and asked Jesus, Have you no answer to make? What is it that these men testify against you? But he remained silent and made no answer. Again, the high priest asked him, Are you the Christ, the Son of the Blessed? And Jesus said, I am. And you will see the Son of Man seated at the right hand of power, coming with the clouds of heaven. And the high priest tore his garments and said, What further witnesses do we need? You have heard this blasphemy. What is your decision? And they all condemned him as deserving death. And some began to spit on him and to cover his face and to strike him, saying to him, Prophesy! And the guards received him with blows. And as Peter was below in the courtyard, one of the servant girls of the high priest came, and seeing Peter warming himself, she looked at him and said, You also were with the Nazarene, Jesus. But he denied it, saying, I neither know nor understand what you mean. And he went out into the gateway, and the rooster crowed. 
And the servant girl saw him and began to say to the bystanders, This man is one of them. But again, he denied it. And after a little while, the bystanders again said to Peter, Certainly you are one of them, for you are Galilean. But he began to invoke a curse on himself and to swear, I do not know this man of whom you speak. And immediately the rooster crowed a second time. And Peter remembered how Jesus had said to him, Before the rooster crows twice, you will deny me three times. And he broke down and wept. Again, always that odd transition at the end of 14. But let's pick up with verse uh, 43 this morning. So if if you look for just a second at the literary structural observations, so for this particular text, if we look at it from a literary perspective, Judas is revealed and the 11 flee. This is, as far as the plot is concerned, fundamentally what is occurring right now. There's a lot more going on. And I'll also tell you that we're going to make reference to several other New Testament books this morning. And um, I'm going to leave you with some homework, I think, at the end of the lesson to try to poke around at one of the questions that a lot of people ask about this particular text uh, and specifically one of the characters in it. So verse 43, and immediately while he, this is Jesus, was still speaking, so he's still talking to the Peter, James, and John about wake up, let's go, let's go, a betrayer's at hand, uh, Judas came. So if you look at the highlighted text there after the word Judas, you'll see that there are four times that the word Judas is mentioned in Mark's gospel. Uh, the one in chapter 6 is not referencing Judas Iscariot, but rather Judas, Jesus's brother. There were a lots of different Bible characters named Judas. Uh, this is one of the reasons why when Judas is mentioned in, Judas Iscariot is mentioned in the New Testament, it'll usually say the betrayer, the uh, Iscariot, not so-and-so. Um, we actually think Simon's, Simon Peter's dad's name was Iscariot. So there's, there were a lot of Iscariots in, uh, there are a lot of Judases in the New Testament. But I do want you to notice that his name shows up in Mark 3.19, 14.10, and 14.43, and then that's it. So we're going to spend a lot of time today and next week, and we have the last couple of weeks, talking about Judas and his role and what he did and what, why and these types of things. But, uh, but he is not the main character of Mark's gospel. So he is... Um, I heard it said when we were studying Jonah several years ago that Jonah's not about a fish, obviously. Nehemiah's not about a wall. Uh, And the Gospels are not about Judas. Those are props that God is using to accomplish his will and his purpose. So Judas came, again, one of the twelve, trying to identify which Judas we're talking about here. And with him, a crowd with swords and clubs. And then there's a really critical word that I want you to notice right after the comma in in clubs. This is top of 488. From the chief priests and the scribes and the elders. And I don't know if if you write on handouts or your copy of the Bible, but that word from is really important because Jesus had been prophesying that he was going to be betrayed into the hands of the chief priests and the scribes and the elders and the like these folks are all coming after him and his prophecy was fulfilled exactly as he prophesied it 
because the chief priests and the scribes and the elders weren't actually there. They sent somebody else to do the dirty work. They only get involved and engaged when it's a public group, when they can all see each other. And we actually see part of their motivation, their own personal gain and glory and reputation through the fact that they weren't there to make the arrest. So don't miss these little things like, well, they, 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 weren't, they weren't there. It's like, okay, well, what in the world? So we'll back up for just a second and look at the previous phrase here. So with him, a crowd, and different gospels focus on different components of the crowd, but there were soldiers, there were, you can kind of think about them as um, um, probably the thing that would resonate would be, uh, so during the Nixon administration in our country's history, Nixon had a series, President Nixon had a series of people that worked for him that would go and do like not good stuff, right? Like repeatedly not, this was not helpful to democracy or our country. These are the people that are kind of embedded along with the soldiers and Judas that are going and doing the work and the will of these religious leaders. So what do they come with? They come with swords and clubs. So, uh, Swords shows up three times in Mark's gospel. And the first is here in verse 43. The second is in verse 47. So who's holding the first set of swords? So the people come in after Jesus. Who's holding the second sword in 47 and 48? Someone with Jesus. Do we know from any other gospel who this someone is? Yeah, it's Peter, right? So part of your homework today is going to be, why did he bring a sword? I'm going to show you the text. Let's go back and look at why he did. But in none of those instances is the concept of a sword pitched in a positive light. So Mark is the first out of the gate from the gospel writers. He's the first one that kind of gets to lay the story down about the account of what happened with Jesus. And right out of the gate, any terminology associated with weapons is like, nope, that's not the answer. Because remember, they're living under the military rule and oppressive might of the Roman Empire, which, I mean, you just didn't mess with Rome, right? This is this too much strength. Too many swords, too many clubs. You couldn't overcome that kind of weaponry. But this is not the Jesus Christ way. And Mark goes to great lengths, I think, to articulate that this is not, in fact, the Jesus Christ way. So it's not about swords. It's not about clubs. So from the chief priests and the scribes and the elders, they're not there, but they send their representatives. So then we get to verse 44. Now the betrayer had given them a sign. So who are we talking about? Talking about Judas, but does he, does he name Judas? No. And this is a verb. So I don't know if you remember when nouns become verbs. <laughs> but this happened with Google. So there was a company named Google. And then there was a, a point at which to Google something... 
Well, now we've turned it into a different part of speech, and you're like, well, can you do that? Well, yeah, if everybody knows what it is and what it's about and what it's for and where it's coming from and why it works that way. So, this, I mean, this is, Judas is now summed up and fully associated with the betrayer. And not just a one-time, you know, this is a present active participle. This is who he is. I have in my notes, we are what we do, and he is now and forevermore associated with betrayal. So now the betrayer had given, and I'm just going to, a little sidebar here for just a second. I've highlighted the word pluperfect, uh, and I put a couple of documents on your uh, page, on your tables today. And this is available at OurSundaySchool.com if you want to grab that. Uh, but this is the cheat sheet for Greek verbs. Uh, this is how I keep all this straight in my head. And uh, pluperfect is not one, is not a tense that shows up very often. It's not really complicated. It doesn't add a tremendous amount to the uh, theological understanding of the text. But this is just completed, uh, completed action that existed at some point in time in the past. So Judas has had some conversation, and it, it reads this way in English. It's, it works really, really well. It's actually one of the easier English verbs to, to translate. It's just what we would consider our past tense. Um, so Judas has had some conversation with this group before he gets there about the sign. So before we get there, what was the sign? It's a kiss, right? Really simple, it's a kiss. Now, look at the, the tense of the verb for saying. This present active participle. So present active participle implies what? It's been repeated. It's happened multiple times. Right? So what does Judas do before he gets there? He rehearses the plan with the people with the clubs and the, and the knives and the swords multiple times before you get there. Because what do you do before something big happens? You practice. I want to make sure everybody's got the same script. I want to make sure everybody understands what the plan is. We have weapons involved. Let's make sure we all understand who we're going to use them against. I mean, this is important, right? So, so this is not, what I don't want you to think is I don't want you to think they just showed up and everybody did, no, 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 no. This was practiced, this was rehearsed, this was, you know, there's a reason Mark uses present active participle for the betrayer and for the saying, because he'd done these things several times. So he says, the one I will kiss. Now look at the, the Greek word for kiss. What's the Greek word for kiss? I bet you all can pronounce it. Phileo, right? You've heard preachers talk about this word for years and years and years, right? This is, uh, it's got two fundamental definitions. One is to be a friend to, and the second is to kiss. So to be a friend to or to kiss. So would it have been obvious if Judas had simply been friendly to somebody? Uh, maybe, but not nearly as obvious if it he had actually kissed somebody. So from the context, we assume, and I think we assume rightly because there's another word that's used here in just a minute, um, that this was a kiss and not just I'm going to be friendly. So let's stop for a second and ask the question, why did Judas need to give them a sign as to who this was? All answers will. Mitch? To fulfill prophecy, absolutely. First and foremost, it was not about the tactical logistics on the ground 
it was, we are fulfilling prophecy, absolutely. What else? There's a lot of bearded people, right? People look. Why would they have had trouble distinguishing one person from another? There you go. We live in a world where I can go look up what everybody looks. That was not how this was, right? The, the emperors got busts made out. Like nobody else got that, right? What else? There's several other good reasons here. It was dark. It was dark. Absolutely. Yes. We turn the lights out, cover the windows in this room, and let's play identify a person. Well, like you, I need help, <laughs> right? I mean, this, we're going to need something that very clearly points out this one person, who this is. What else? Uh, does anybody know what time it would have been when this was occurring? Yeah, it, it would have been uh, later in the evening. Uh, so certainly after the sun went down several hours into uh, the night watches, um, yes. What else? Even those that would, you know, normally make facial recognition, these are not people that were followers of Jesus, so they weren't necessarily being there. That's exactly right. Who wasn't there? The chief, the chief priests and the scribes and the elders weren't there. They sent the henchmen, right? They didn't know all the details. They sent the soldiers. We know soldiers were there. Soldiers don't have a, like, I'm going to do an artist sketch of, no, 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 no. Well, that's, that's the need for a uniform. Soldiers know which who they're attacking. That's exactly right. So, so Judas fulfills prophecy by betraying this way. Judas points out who we're going after because the physical setting is dark People are going to look alike. You know, how do we figure out who this is? Um, there's a lot of reasons why a kiss is a really, really simple way to do this. One more reason I'll give you. Would a kiss have alerted the 11? We don't get any indication whatsoever from the text that it was like, <gasps> what's this? Like, no, this would have been normal which is heartbreakingly bad. But I want you to specifically, I want you to look one more time at this Greek word. Phileo, right? Phileo. All right. We're going to come back to this in just a second. So I will kiss is the man. The one I will kiss is the man. It's really not the word man, it's him, but it sounds better in English when you say the man. So most of the translators put it this way. Uh, and then Judas gives them a couple of commands. Uh, the first command is to seize him. Now, uh, a couple of you were here when we started Mark's Gospel uh, years ago. And uh, the first time this word krateo showed up, we had a young man sitting in our class. And he sat right over here. And I wanted to visually show you what the word krateo meant. Because I was waiting for this instance of krateo. And I wanted this to be in your head when I did this. And some of you remember this because you're nodding right now. I picked him up. Did I pick him up? Who picked him up? Yeah. Jay Arnold picked him up. Because Jay Arnold is a hulking beast of a human being. He picked him up and he totes him around. And he almost hit his head on the post. I remember that. So it was like, oh my goodness, don't hurt the child at this point. This would be bad. We don't need blood gushing everywhere. 
But the word krateo means to use, sink, to use strength, to seize or retain. Like, I have control of you. So think for just a second. So we look at this and we go, like, somebody's going to seize Jesus. Come on. Look, what do we know about Jesus that leads us to believe that is a ridiculous way to capture Jesus? He's the Son of God. His all power has been given to him by the Father. Like there, there is nothing physically that he can't do because he actually was involved in the creation of the entire world. It's all under his... He holds everything together. He was holding the atoms together of the soldiers that arrested him while they were arresting him. It is ridiculous to think that you could physically by force take him. So what would lead someone to believe that would work? What's your theology if you think that works? Well, they're, they're not seeing him as the son of God. Who's not seeing him? The, the, the Who in the text says this word? Judas. Judas doesn't see him as the son of God. Judas sees him as a man who can be seized. See, our tactics communicate our beliefs. And what Judas does here is a very man-made, physical, strength-oriented, we're going to win this. Yes. 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 That's right. Absolutely. Yes. Yes. Yeah. Judas had been with Jesus for multiple years at this point. Had seen him. Uh, I would argue bend and break pretty much every physical law that Jesus himself made, right? So, of course, they're subject to him uh, and still didn't get it, and this is reliant upon the Spirit. This is, this is, Christianity, as, as much as the mathematician in me wants to make it, Christianity is not an intellectual-only exercise. It's not the way this fundamentally works. It is a choice, absolutely. And that choice involves... The prerequisite of the drawing and the convicting of the Holy Spirit. And Judas is still firmly entrenched in the Roman military might mindset. So his tactics communicate his beliefs. So Judas says, seize him. So does that happen? Look at the text. Does that happen? Do they see, does the word seize show up again in the text? They laid hands on him and seized him. Okay. All right. Judas continues, and lead him away. Do they lead him away? Look at verse 53. Sometimes you've got to go outside the text. Yeah, they led him away. In verse, um, in chapter 15, verse 1, the second half of that verse, and they bound Jesus and led him away and delivered him over to Pilate. Yes. Uh, 
Judas is actually listened to, and I, I would argue, and this is going to be a bit of a stretch, but I will argue the, the, the activity that Judas does that is most like Jesus is giving this plural, present, active imperative, this group standing order to this crowd to go and do something. It looks to me like the only thing Judas learned was how to lead people. And he leads them against Christ and not to Christ, which is tragic, tragic, tragic. Of, of all the things you're going to pick up on hanging out with Jesus for a few years, you're going to pick up on how to give a command to be obeyed. Which again reveals what you believe. Like this is, there's so much going on here. So much going on here. So keep going in verse 45. And when he came, says Judas, when Judas came, he went up to him, to Jesus, at once, because you're not going to start, like this is not the time to slow walk the process. Right? You have a group with swords and clubs. We need to move quickly. We need to make this happen. This is the mindset here. And at once he said, Rabbi. Now, Rabbi shows up three times in Mark's gospel. The first two times, Peter says it to Jesus. And the last time, Judas says it to Jesus. So this is as close as Judas gets to any of the other apostles either. And then comes the word where somebody should have noticed something was wrong. This is the word, I think, where the disciples went, what? He kissed him. What's the word for kiss? You gotta look. It's not the word you expect. You expect phileo, right? What is it? You're like, there's there's something in front of it. <laughs> Cataphileo. This is to uh, Strong's Concordance says to kiss earnestly. Most of the other uh, definitions of this are gonna sound somewhere along passionate, aggressive, um, in its most extreme form, it's it would be a sensual. Um, so we're going to look up some verses here real quick. So this, uh, this word shows up in uh, four other texts in the New Testament. Uh, Matthew 26, 49. So this is also a reference to Judas and how Judas kisses Jesus. But in Luke chapter 7, and this is the one I want you to go to, in Luke chapter 7, I bet you could probably guess where these are going to show up. The very last section of Luke 7, the ESV calls it a sinful woman forgiven. There was a woman of the city who was a sinner when she learned that he was reclining at table in the Pharisee's house, brought an alabaster flask of ointment, standing behind him and at his feet, weeping. She began to wet his feet with her tears and wiped them with the hair of her head and kissed his feet and anointed them with the ointment. Same word. 
This is not a, a little peck, everything. No, 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 no. This is, I'm broken, I'm done, I'm overwhelmed with who you are, and I acknowledge, like, I, like it's, it's just this overwhelming response. Okay? Luke chapter 15. Was there any story or parable that Jesus told that involved kissing? Prodigal son. Who did the kissing? The father when the son came home. Cataphileo. This was not a, like, okay, hey, yay, check the box. No, 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 no. You'd be overwhelmed with an emotional response at this point. Uh, Acts chapter 20. Acts chapter 20. It's not often that we go to the right in your Bible beyond the Gospels in our study of Mark. Uh, But in Acts chapter 20, at the very end of... uh, So this is Paul in Macedonia and Greece. Uh, Eutychus is raised from the dead. This is your... uh, how to threaten a small child in church passage. Um, Paul speaks to the Ephesian elders, and there was a great deal of emotion involved. And you can like read this whole text, and you're just like, oh my goodness, they loved each other. You get to the very end, in verse 36, it says, And when he had said all these things, he knelt down and prayed with them all. And, I, and I'm, I'm, I'm pretty sure this is like Paul doesn't come back. It's the last time he sees him. And there was much weeping on the part of all, and they embraced Paul and kissed him, being sorrowful most of all because of the word he had spoken that they would not see his face again, and they accompanied him to the ship, and that was it. And I don't know if you have somebody in your life that, that was responsible, that in your, in your earthly eyes was responsible for you hearing the gospel. But if you knew this was the last time you were ever going to see this person there's going to be some emotions that are going to run pretty hot here. So these are the only instances where cataphileo are mentioned in the entire New Testament. Highly emotional charged moments. Passionate engaging moments. Moments where nobody cares how they look. So what does Judas actually do here? I would argue that he overplayed his hand. And he had to overplay his hand because it was dark and it was at night and nobody in the crowd knew who he was and he had to make a big deal about it. But it didn't actually fit what the norm was. If you think through all those New Testament letters that at the very end of those letters, oh, and by the way, when you see a brother in Christ, greet him with a holy kiss. It's not cataphileo. It's a whole different word. It's like this very mild, like, yay, check. (laughs) It's not this. So he kissed him. And I would argue that it's really difficult for an English translator to find a a sequence of words that you can put there that don't raise other weird Odd questions other than, we'll just say kissed, and if you want to do the study, you know it's a little more passionate than that, right? I I think they probably made a really good choice just saying, we kissed him, and we'll move right along. I think that's really good. Verse 46. 
and they laid hands on him. And in that moment, the, the 11, like, what just happened? Like, the world shifted. Because Jesus has been talking about this over and over and over and over and over and over, and now it has actually begun. And they laid hands on him. And the, um, we use this phrase sometimes in modern church context to ordain someone, to to lay hands on, this is not a gentle laying of hands, this is uh, throwing on. And seized him, this is what Judas told them to do, right? <clears throat> so everything changes at this point. So here's your homework for next week. The start of verse 47, but one of those who stood by drew his sword. So if you want to circle that word sword in your notes, and put down this reference, Luke 22, 35 to 38. Luke 22, 35 to 38. And my question is, who told Peter to bring a sword? <laughs> and the answer might surprise you. The answer might surprise you. So that is uh, the lesson for this week. I was very nervous that I was going to finish early. But there's so much here, right? So much in a kiss. So much in a kiss. So that's the lesson for today. Thank you guys for uh, engaging. You should have a weekly update at your table. Uh, so please make sure every name is there that's at your table. Uh, pick a section to pray over or for our prayer request, make any updates or changes if you would. And uh, then you are dismissed to go and to worship this one who willingly was betrayed by a kiss. Yes, I just mentioned it. Oh, yes, my uh, supreme attendance taker is not here, so it's even more important today. So, thank you. Um, but to go and to worship this one who was willingly betrayed, who allowed himself, and even though he had all power, to be seized and led away. And the crazy thing to, to know is the next time we see Jesus, the concept that, that verse 46 could have been done to him will boggle our minds forever. It will not fit the person that we see. And yet that is how much he loves us. So let us not forget, because he is a good and gracious king. So that's the lesson for today, guys. Thanks for coming. Thanks for engaging. And don't forget to subscribe to our podcast, YouTube channel, and weekly email. You can subscribe to all three of those at OurSundaySchool.com. Grace and peace to you.